Tom Brand here from Tom's Big Spiders. To kick this one off, I want to go back to last week's episode where I did a list of spiders that I thought were kind of hobby essentials. To be completely honest, I actually held back posting that one for a little bit because I wasn't sure if it was any good. And I do have a hard time when I do these podcasts. Sometimes I have some, you know, I write down some notes. I think I have some good ideas. And then after I do them, I have a very difficult time evaluating whether or not they're actually entertaining or not. So I was very relieved to check back onto Facebook and see that the comments were overwhelmingly good, which is great. And apparently I didn't miss too, too much as far as species that other people agreed should be hobby staples. Now, one popped up that I have to agree with. Um, Zach Hess, I believe it is. If I pronounce your name wrong, Zach, I apologize. It's a great podcast as usual. I got I got to give it to the Armenia slightly over the Cambridge Eye. That pattern is unreal, and that's when I honestly went back and forth with between the Armenia and the Cambridge Eye. The Armenia, I have a thing with black and orange patterns. It's just gorgeous. But the Cambridge Eye are also gorgeous in their own way with those almost greenish tones. So I think that's one that could easily be debated back and forth. However, he also put OBTs are staples to me. Beautiful, bright orange color, super hardy, interesting behavior, and not as bad as their name would suggest. And I have to agree, that was one that I thought about including on this list, and it was on the tail end of it, and I kind of forgot to make mention. It was going to be one of those ones like the Cabocla that I thought everybody should have, but people would argue. I The one reason I kind of stirred to leave it off is only because I think a lot of people that jump into the hobby grab them not so much because they think they're beautiful spiders and they're interested in the behavior, but they hear about their, you know, legendary ornery attitudes. And I especially get a lot of people that'll email me going, hey, Tom, I'm new to the hobby. I saw your list of beginner species. I have to ask, though, I'm thinking I really want an OBT and I get that one all the time. So I kind of left it off for that, but I honestly do think everybody, if they're into old world, should grab an OBT at some point, although I know some people out there are going to be like, no way, I've heard so many bad things about them. I lucked out wherein mine is actually very well behaved. We're thinking about, we haven't named her yet, and we're thinking about giving her an ironic name like Sunshine or Sunny or something because she's just this little ball of fire, but she's really laid back and tame overall. So that would be a species, honestly, I would think, at least for people that keep old worlds, I'm always going to have one in my collection. So it's to me, it's an important species. It's, and obviously, as I mentioned before with these lists, it's up to the individual. However, I do think that is one that everybody, a, a lot of people own them, and I, I do think they're kind of a staple of the hobby. Um, unfortunately, several years ago, they seemed to lose a lot of popularity, I think, in an effort to keep them out of the hands of people who are just beginning, because I do believe in most instance, instances, they are not a good beginner species. You know, they have a lot of good things going for them, like they're bulletproof with husbandry they're easy to you know to grow up but the attitudes can be a bit much and they will strike and bite if threatened i do think that makes them not an ideal beginner species but i think what happened is a lot of people in the hobby basically demonized them and then the general consensus for a lot of people like if you went on arachnoboards and stuff was yeah they're not even that good looking anyway they're boring this that which i don't agree with at all if you like the color orange you like bright you know beautiful spiders they are definitely gorgeous uh, gorgeous species and uh, some of the people I've talked, you know, my buddy and I, Tim Millwood, have talked before about the fact that we both keep ours in more 
uh, in containers with more depth and give them a little more space, almost like a semi-arboreal setup. And if you give them a little extra room, they seem to do quite fine, and they will more than likely retreat than stand their ground. That's not to say there aren't mean specimens out there. Obviously, if a species gets a reputation for being this mean and ornery, there have to be some nasty ones out there. However, I can say that I used to watch YouTube videos on these guys all the time, and it would be some kid that had it in a little plastic shoebox that was about four inches deep on their floor, and when he ripped the top off, it would pull up all the webbing, and the spider would obviously go a bit berserk, and that would kind of be the equivalent of me being in my room and having somebody rip the, you know, the roof off my house. That would freak me out a bit, too. So, yes, Zach, I do believe OBT should be on that list. It was supposed to be on that list. I have my notes from last week in front of me, and it was on the bottom, and I must have missed it, but I agree that is one as well. And then I believe somebody else also talked about Nandrew Tripepi, and that's another great species as far as I'm concerned, and one that I kind of toyed with. That was Helen Patterson. Hey, Tom, great po- another great podcast. Thank you, Helen. I agree with your list. There's one species I, was, I would add. This is the Nandrew Trepepi. This is one of those ones I put in there with the Bumba Cabocla that I don't understand why more people don't keep. They are just... Gory, like there's just nothing like them out there. Big fluff balls. Mine has probably the most personality of anything I keep. She's a strange little nut where she'll be like in her, she'll be in her cage when you open her container, but then she's the one that sometimes when I open up will run right out to the edge and just kind of wait for me to drop something in. She never goes over the edge. And whether or not she recognizes I'm dropping food in or not is definitely up for debate. I'm not sure, but it is definitely interesting behavior. She's kind of skittish, but kind of not. She'll run away, she'll turn around, stand her ground, never get a threat pose from her she never kicks a hair and just a cool space uh, species so helen that is another one that i think i kind of miss and i think one of those ones maybe one of these days i'll do a list coming up of just species that m- some people overlook that i think need a second look because i definitely have a bunch for that one so again thanks so much everybody that chimed in i got to go back afterwards and answer my comments i back to school just so everybody is aware and this part of the year is incredibly busy for me uh, the prep leading into the school year trying to get my materials ready Um, the type of teaching I do has a lot of paperwork and reports and stuff like that so this time of year is very very busy for me so I'm going to try to keep the podcast rolling I haven't missed one yet Uh, I had that one more it came out Monday but close enough and we're going to keep going with these but some people have responded about the fact that I haven't posted a video in a little while don't worry I'll be back it's just gotten to the point where I have to kind of prioritize where I'm going to spend my time so I do think this will be fun going ahead to kind of address some of the comments we get on these to start these podcasts off so it's a little more interactive. So moving ahead to start off this one as far as new materials concerned, something that came up recently twice and I addressed it in the past but I think I'd spend a little more time on it. Somebody uh, messaged me about the way I kept one of my Kilobrocchi species. I gave it room to dig, and all my Kilobrockies have plenty of room to burrow and dig because that's where they're most happy. They, you know, Asian fossorial species that they like to be under the ground, moist substrate, all the, the whole nine yards. And somebody responded on one of my videos, I don't understand why you give them so much dirt. You're obviously not going to get to see them very much. I only give mine a couple inches of substrate and a hide, and then they web up the rest of the enclosure. And then we kind of went back and forth a bit, and I said, well, how is your behavior wise and he's like oh mine's a nut well mine aren't and part of that is due to the fact that they are a species that wants to burrow obviously tarantulas are adaptable and i got a funny feeling in the wild that if they can't find a proper space to burrow in they will just create their own burrow through webbing so that is i I would say it's probably natural behavior but i always find that with my tarantulas that want to burrow i want to give them enough space 
to do the burrowing, to make their burrows, to feel secure. Now, the downside of that is with these species, I'm not going to see them as much. And I'm totally okay with that. If I keep a fossorial species, I don't expect to see it all that much. But there has been quite a few times over the years where people have contacted me and said, hey, you know what, I'm going to keep such and such a species. I know they like the burrow, but I don't want, I want to be able to see it. So I'm only going to give it a little bit of substrate. What do you think about it? And Again, there seem to be different trains of thoughts on it. There are people that keep some of their fossorial species in shallow substrate with hides and let them web so they can see them more often. My theory on the matter, or my take on the matter is, I want to keep them as comfortably as, po- as comfortable as possible. I want to give them the conditions most like what they be- see in the wild, especially with defensive, potentially po- uh, defensive old world species. It makes sense to me to give them a setup that's going to allow them to be comfortable, to not feel threatened every time you open the enclosure. And that's what we talked about a moment ago with the OBT. That's like a species I think that a lot of people keep terrestrially when you want to give them more space. So personally, I don't agree with the notion of purposely adjusting how a tarantula should live just so you can see it more. This hobby is such that we're taking care of animals, and the whole point of the Tom's Big Spiders thing and why I do this is to try to give people the correct care information on how to take care of them. And I really don't agree with ignoring how they should be kept so that it benefits us in the hobby so that we can, quote-unquote, see them more, see them out more. When you get into the hobby, one of the things you start learning when you do your research is there are three basic types of tarantulas, and you can count four if you want to go semi-arboreal, but there are the terrestrial, the ones that pretty much stay on the surface and might hide under a log or something. There are the fossorial species or the burrowing species that need some substrate, deep substrate, and want to burrow. And then there are the arboreal species, the ones that want to be off the ground. You have to set something up that they can kind of go off the ground like they would be in a trees or you know up in the root of a tree or in a bush or whatever it may be. And then you can talk kind of about the semi-arboreal ones, which are the ones that you need a little bit of you know room off the ground and they will probably supplement with some webbing and such. But that's about it. And when you start learning about tarantulas you want to recognize which species is which so you can set it up correctly now ignoring that just doesn't seem right to me so it's funny because with the fossorial species we're more inclined to give them you know shallow substrate so that we can see them more you don't normally hear people go you know what i have this arboreal species i know it wants to be off the ground but i really don't want to see it on the side of the enclosure so i'm just going to give it a terrestrial setup most people won't suggest that and if somebody did they'd be jumping all over them however it seems to be a little bit different with the fossorial species and i do think it's because of their propensity to adjust if you don't give them enough substrate so they can feel comfortable in their dens they will basically web the snot out of the enclosure which can be attractive to somebody keeping these if i've got a kilo like right now my kilobrachy species kilobrachy's guangziensis is in about seven inches of substrate i catch her out every once in a while maybe you know twice a month or so if i'm lucky maybe even less and when i do it's like an event it's like oh my gosh my girl's out this is great most of the time i just see her front feet that's totally okay with me. Now, if I took her out of there and put her in something that was more shallow, maybe a couple inches of substrate and just to hide, she would likely web the entire enclosure up. Right now, there's a little bit of webbing. She has two entrances to her burrows. There's a little bit of webbing there, and that's about it. So I can see the temptation. I'm going to have a spider that I'm going to see more often. I'm going to have webbing. Everybody loves them. Most people love to see the webbing. It's just very cool. So I can definitely see the temptation. And I don't necessarily fault people that keep them this way because there are a lot of people that do keep them this way and they have good luck with them. Just as far as I'm concerned, 
I'm going to try to keep the tarantula as close as I can to its natural environment and give it the room to burrow so it can feel secure. I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy a collection of spiders that are overall, even my old worlds, are overall very well behaved because in my experience, I've found that if you give them the setup they need, most would rather retreat than stand their ground. Even my OBT, I caught her out the other day when I was doing feeding. She immediately shot. I got her in the like semi-aboreal setup. She shot behind her little piece of cork bark and hid. She didn't want to stand her ground. Now, if that thing had been five inches shorter and I pulled the top off it and she was right there, yeah, she probably would have stood her ground. She probably would have given me a couple threat poses. She probably would have tried to strike at me. That's normal. Same thing with the piece of Letheria. We talk about those all the time. I found that those would like to hide. If you let them hide, they would much rather either flatten and use their natural camouflage to hide themselves and conceal themselves or go hide behind something than stand their ground and give you a threat pose or try to bite. So I think, personally speaking, I'm not a fan of, personally, myself, I'm not going to judge other people. You do what you need to do. I'm not a fan of adjusting a tarantula's setup just so that you can see it more often. I think I alluded to before, somebody contacted me, they had bought a Formictopus auratus, and they were upset because it was about a one and a half inch sling slash juvenile, and it was burying and, and burying itself and not coming out, and he wasn't seeing it very often. And he's like, you know what, I took the whole thing out, I gave it like a half an inch of substrate and a hide, and now I see it all the time. And I don't agree with that at all. Especially when slings are invo- involved, you want the slings to have the best care possible. Most sling species I've had, the slings will actually burrow and stay burrowed, but most of them will outgrow this behavior once they hit a certain size. So for example, my Formictopus erratus, they were burrowed the first year I had them for the most part until they hit about three and a half, four inches or so. Now they're both out in the open. So again, I think personally for me, this comes back to the hobby requiring patience. If you're not a patient person, this might not be the hobby for you. Um, Not being able to wait out a species like Formictopus that grow very quickly. I mean, I say the first year, it was probably the first six months or so they were buried and they were out and about. I've had Formictopus species go from about an inch to four and a half, five inches in a year, no problem. So if you can't wait six months for your spider, even though if it's going to mean it's healthy, it's happy, it's secure, if you can't wait six months for your spider to outgrow its burrowing behavior, you're going to have a rough time in this hobby, quite frankly. And I, I do think that's one of the issues I see with people that get into it is they lack the patience to set these guys up the way they need to. They lack the patience to go through things like pre and things of those natures and fast. It's something you got to kind of be aware of before you get into the hobby instead of just getting into the hobby and realizing, you know what, I have no time for this. That A lot of these guys can live quite some time and that means slow growth rates and that it can take you a while to get a large tarantula. And some of them like conditions that don't necessarily make them the most visible pets. And you've got to be aware of that and you've got to kind of weigh, do I want this species? It's like when people want the cobalt blues. You hear that? I get that all the time. That's one of the species that seems to draw a lot of people to the hobby. And when I try to explain them, if they're kept correctly, you're not going to see them that much. They don't seem to get it. I did have, I was validated recently where somebody picked one up about six months ago was like, yeah, you weren't kidding. I've seen this thing like twice now and I've gotten other spiders that I see more visible and they've gotten some new worlds as a matter of fact, that they were 
incredibly pleased with because at least they get to see them all the time. So again, this is a hobby that demands patience. I think that it's important that we don't ignore how we're supposed to keep things and adjust things. Not, you know, it should always be for the good of the spider. That's the way I think of it. If you're going to do something because it's going to benefit the spider, then I'm all for it. I've spoken a lot about my P. muticus and how I've discovered that some of them, if given too much room to burrow, will actually seal themselves up, not come up to eat, and can actually starve to death. And since I posted that video a couple of years ago, a lot of people have come forward saying they have seen the exact same thing. So that's one where we end up adjusting what we would think was the normal conditions for keeping them. For example, the general consensus years ago was you give them as much substrate as you can. I've seen people like, you got to give them at least a foot of dirt. Well, I guess that works for some, but others, you will have a spider that will go all the way down to the bottom. It'll seal up its burrow. It won't come up to drink. It won't come up to eat, and it'll eventually perish because it's not getting what it needs. So that would be a situation in which we would adjust how we keep the tarantula in accordance to something that will help the tarantula. We're not doing it because, hey, I don't see my P. muticus. I want to see it more, so I'm going to give it a, you know, a smaller enclosure. We're basically going to say, no, you know what? This is going to actually help my muticus. I want to, I want to make sure that it gets everything it needs, so therefore we're going to adjust the situation a bit. But as far as doing it just so we can see it, I'm not a fan of that. Again, I'm not going to get into a debate for people that keep them that way. If you have success with it, more power to you. And again, they will web. They will make do with what they have. They are adaptable animals. It's just not what I choose to do. So I basically, when folks ask me, do you think you should adjust it? My answer is personally, I wouldn't do it. I kind of encourage them to do some research and find out what the tarantula really needs. And then if they decide to keep it on shallow substrate, I usually recommend they find somebody else that has done the same thing and ask how it's gone just so they know what they're aware of. I mean, one of the big issues with that is you may have a more defensive spider because every time you pull the top off that thing, for the ones that web up a lot, they usually go right up to the top. You're going to have your little, you know, fanged jack-in-the-box that's just waiting to go at you because not because they want to hurt you, not because they're being, you know, aggressive is the word people throw out there that I don't think is correct. They're being defensive. They're defending their territory. So that's my thought on those. Feel free to chime in if you are somebody that keeps, and I'm not going to judge, if you're somebody that keeps them showered, just let us know how it goes, which species you do it with. I'm always happy to listen to different ways of doing things and hearing different information. So I'd love to hear from anybody that does keep them this way and find out what they have experienced as far as behavior. So next up, I've realized this week, and uh, it was kind of an interesting interaction with somebody on my YouTube channel, that I apparently have an issue dealing with trolls. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about here. Um, I had somebody come on a video, I believe it was on B. Hammeri, at, at the time it was a care video for B. Smith, it was B. Smithy at the time, and somebody came on, and in the video I mentioned the fact that some folks think that they might be capable of living to 40 years old. It was, I didn't say they live to 40 years old, I didn't say your spider is definitely going to make it to 40 or over 40. I mentioned the fact, and this is honest to gosh truth, that many folks believe that these spiders can live to 40. I thought that was a, an interesting point and something people should be aware of because they haven't been, we haven't been keeping spiders all that long. We, a lot of the ones that were in the hobbies in the 70s and 80s were wild-caught specimens that were already young adults or adults when we got them. So there's no way of knowing how old they were. And some of those specimens have gone on to live 30 years. So you figure even if the species, when you pulled it out of the wild, was 8 years old, that's a 38-year-old spider. That's almost 40. Well, anyway, somebody came on, and I should have known it was probably a troll, but they're like, 40 years, LOL, try 20. Now, 
I'm sorry, I have a tarantula here right now that's going on 23 years old. It was a Gramostola rosea or proteri, whatever one you want to call it. And when I picked her up, she was already about four inches and a wild-caught specimen. I know the guy told me it was wild-caught. He had picked it up. So you have to figure, for a G. porteri or rosea to go from a sling to four inches in the wild, I'm going to go conservatively at least seven or eight years. Now, I have a G. porteri sling right now that I got at about, she was about a third of an inch or so. It's been five years, and she's an inch and a quarter long. And that's with op- optimal conditions, good temperatures, no cold snaps, I mean, constant feeding. That's as big as she got. So you can do the math there. This spider is easily 30 years old, in my estimation. I can't obviously prove it. Maybe she had super growth rate when she was out in Chile back in the day, but I'm guessing she's at least 30 or older. So to say they only live to 20 is ridiculous. There's lots out there. Somebody had a lazy door parahibana that was 24 years old when it died. Uh, I've heard people that had uh, Brachypelma albopelosums that were easily 30 years old. So right off the bat, as far as I'm concerned, I'm willing to debate anything, but this person is wrong with the 20 years old thing. So like a ding dong, I go on and decide to go, all right, you know what? Maybe they're just misinformed. People are going, no, there's no way. Because when I tell people how long I've had my my queen for, my G. porteri, G. rosea, they don't believe me at first. Like, how could it live that long? Like, I'm telling you, I've had it. Billy and I picked it up when we first moved out. We still got it. So I thought maybe it was something like this. So I tried to explain what I just said, the fact that people have had specimens that live, you know, later. And some have had ones that are 30, 35, 40. And the guy comes back with, yeah, but I said 30 or 35 And the guy came back with, yeah, but that's not 40. Ha, ha, ha. So, like a ding-dong, I, again, and it's not, I I need to make it clear, it's not so much about me being wrong. Because those of you that we've had disagreements or had differing opinions, you'll see that I take in information. Sometimes I change my opinions about things if somebody can tell me something new. I don't have a closed mind when I go to stuff. However... I do feel like there are things called facts that are inarguable. I know we live in a day and age where we can have alternative facts and, you know, people can report different things and supposedly both are true, but there are certain things that I believe are proven and that's it. We know for a fact they can live to 30 and over. We know for a fact they live over 35. I believe there was one out there that made it to 40, but I don't believe that it's unrealistic to say they could make it to 40, which is what I said. I also know that they live over 20 and I teach for a living. And I think I realized the other day, because what I should do with people is go, oh, thanks so much and just go on or not even bother answering it. But for me, this is like teaching a class and having a kid suddenly raise their hand. And, you know, I I say two X is eight and they raise their hand and they go, well, no, actually it's 16. I can't let that go. I think the teacher in me is like, oh, dear gosh, somewhere somebody led you astray, buddy. we got to fix this. So I feel like that if I approach it from different angles, politely give more information, I can explain why they are wrong. And I think that's where I run into trouble with this because I do believe there's a gray area sometimes as far as people that are just – woefully uh, you know ill-informed and then the trolls trolls are actively out there trying to get your goat they, they just they're chiming in just to ruin your day they want to get you riled up and the one thing i will say is that i generally i won't allow myself to get riled up online there's never i'm never getting angry i'm never yelling i use happy faces i'll, I'll get incredibly sarcastic and kind of insulting but with some sarcasm in there so it's like you can't tell if i'm really being mean or not but i don't really feed the trolls My problem is if you teach and somebody comes at you with something that you believe is completely wrong, is misinformation, the teacher in me wants to make sure they have the correct information. So, for example, 
A lot of times I get the, hey, you need to get that water dish out of there. Your spider's going to drown. I just got this with my P. metallica. Somebody chimed in, my adult female that has a big water dish in there. And I felt the urge. I had to sit down and go, oh, no, that's not true. They can't drown. And a healthy spider won't drown. You know, went through the whole nine. And in this instance, she was like, oh, gosh, I never realized that. I'm going to start putting in water dishes with my tarantulas. It was awesome. It's exactly what I want. It's exactly why I do this. It's the type of interaction I absolutely love because the person walked away learning something so it makes all this worthwhile now flip side somebody goes on another video (laughs) you should take that water dish out of there it's a waste of time so again i politely explained how i've seen them drinking i collect pictures of them drinking i have people send me pictures of them drinking a lot of times i'll do a video once a month i'll include somebody drinking i don't understand why you wouldn't want to show them you know give them an opportunity to drink when they need water and the guy's response was it's a waste of time they don't have water dishes in the in the wild I should have just bowed out here, but then I got into, well, no, and they also don't live in little aquariums in the wild and have people put, you know, dirt in and fake plants and feed them every day. And I went into that whole spiel and his response was, good, you want to waste your time doing that? You're an idiot. So that's obviously a troll, but you can't tell until you engage. And I've had some people, I have a guy that follows me now that I still interact with that our first interaction was not the nicest one. Um, my end, I tried to be nice. Inside, I was really getting aggravated. But I ended up convincing him of something, and he was like, thank you, and he started falling. So that's all I look for. But I found that this puts me in a spot. And I will say, I'm very fortunate. I get very, knock on wood, I knock, but my dogs will start barking. I get very few trolls on my YouTube channel or on my website. I, for the most part, I get some really great people that are asking legitimate questions. I've had a handful of trolls over the years. And a lot of the people that come across like trolls at first, I'm able to reach them and find out that, no, they weren't trolling. They were just misinformed. So I'm very lucky in that respect. But when they do come, I can't just, I have a lot of people like, ignore, ignore, ignore. Well, I just think about how many instances where if I had ignored the person they wouldn't have gotten the information they needed. They wouldn't have been corrected. They wouldn't have learned. So I do have an issue there because sometimes you don't know until that first exchange who you're dealing with. Sometimes you don't know to that second exchange who you're dealing with. I've had situations where things seem to be going good and then the person goes around and says something that you're like, okay, never mind, I'm done with you, and ban them. So that's the issue I've run into now. And to give you an example of an actual troll that was pretty obvious, I had somebody come onto my channel. It was uh, in German. I had to translate in German. Translate. But basically, I had mentioned G. Porteri. I'd called my queen G. Porteri G. Rosea. Now, as many people may know, there is supposedly going to be a paper released, hopefully soon this year, next year, in which they're going to say definitively these guys, G. Porteri and G. Rosea, are both G. rosea, just different color forms, and if that's what they find out, that's it. But for years, it's been debated whether or not they were two separate species or whether it was just red color form or whatever. I just preferred referring them as two different species only because it made it easier than the red color form or brown color form, I believe it is, whatever. But and when this video was made, it was two years ago before this paper was even out. But he came on and was basically like, they're the same thing, stupid, and called me stupid. So that was blatantly obvious it was a troll. So I'm going to be honest, that guy I kind of messed with a little bit before deleting the comments. But uh, that was a pretty obvious one, and I knew I wasn't going to teach him anything because he basically went on four of my other videos and said very rude things. So there was a troll. But as far as ignoring people that say something and sometimes say something you know that disagrees with what I'm saying and says it, say it in an impolite manner, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt when you teach kids, especially high school kids who have things in their mind that it 
they believe, they hold true, and you try to contradict that and explain that it's not true, it can be difficult, so I'm used to doing that. So I keep rolling with it. Unfortunately, it does kind of open me up sometimes for the trolls. So I don't know. It was just something I thought about the other day, and I've had people come to me before, hey, ignore them, whatever, and this is why I can't ignore them, and I figured this out the other day with this incident. I can't ignore them because I am a teacher by trade. I do this Tom's Big Spiders thing. I'm not looking to get money. I'm not monetizing my YouTube channel. This isn't about fame or being a YouTube personality. In fact, that kind of creeps me out and weirds me out when people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you you know, email me back. I'm like, yeah, I'm just some you know goober that plays with spiders. It's totally cool. I approach this like I would teaching, and it's I just can't walk away from something where I feel like somebody has been misinformed. i got to help, and I will say more often than not, it turns out well. And when you get the cases that they're the trolls, I can have a little fun and get a little sarcastic. I can usually get people really upset because I'm not getting upset and we have a little fun there. And finally, to end this one off, I've shot update videos on all three of my communals and I have yet to post them. So I feel bad because I know a lot of people are waiting to hear about them. But I will give a little update. Uh, the NNCs are no longer a family. Um, unfortunately, I kept them in a small container at first, and I had heard from some people that said they thought they get uh, they get along better if kept in larger containers where they can stake out their own real estate. And again, with this species, this was the one I was most weary about keeping in a communal because I've heard such mixed reactions about how to keep them. Some people say keep them nice and tight. And I've talked to several people that kept them nice and tight and never had a problem. Some people kept them more spread apart and they said they need to develop their own areas and they didn't have a problem. What happened was I moved them into a larger enclosure, gave them their own hides, and four of them basically set out. Two of them were in one spot, and two of them set out in two different areas. And what happened is within about a week, I came in to feed them one day, and I found two of them in like locked in a death struggle trying to eat each other. So I managed to split those two up, which was not fun. Luckily, one of them kind of ran off quickly while the other one was kind of holding onto a leg, and I got them apart, and then they were separated after that, and they're doing fine now. But I do think with this species, it seems like the best chance you're going to have at keeping a successful communal is to have a mom that has a sack and keep the sack mates together. And even then, it sounds like the majority of them will probably live. But unfortunately, there will be some cannibalism. Although this is one of the species we have observed in the wild living communally, it does seem like they can have some issues and that predation is a natural part of their community. Unlike the Balfoury, which it seems like they don't predate on themselves very on each other very often, these guys will do it. So again, I after that, I, I decided it was no longer, I didn't want to end up with just one fat spider. So there are now four separate containers with my Incy in it and they are doing well. As far as my Pisolotherium metallica, those guys are also doing quite well. All of them are still alive. However, I've noticed they do get along great, but there seem to be a couple different sizes now. When I started off, they're all around the same size. I now have two that are about an inch and a half long. I mean, this is much faster growth than I got with my original P. Metallica sling. That one was very, very shy and didn't eat particularly well. It was one of the few that would actually like not eat one day and eat the next. And they all seem to eat great. However, I have one that's about an inch, two that are about an inch and a half, a few that are like an inch and a quarter or so, a few that are under that. And then I have one that's about an inch and I caught it eating, eating the other day, but there do seem to be runts. Um, they're not attacking each other. They won't attack this little one, which is great. But I have read before in the Pisolotheria uh, 
communals that you will often get adults that will mature and then you'll have little teeny tiny runts that take forever to grow. Now, I'm not alarmed yet because the little quote unquote runts are growing about the same pace my first Pima Talca grew when I got her as a sling. So that seems about normal. But the majority of them seem to eat really well. They basically, when they nest up for the evening, a lot of them are right next to each other, touching each other. They have some of the same type of interactions that the Balfouri have when they encounter each other. They'll kind of pull out with their legs and move on. There's been no friction that I've witnessed whatsoever. So, so far, so good with those. I may try to, if the little guys don't seem to put on some size, there's like one that's really, really small and one that just molted and put on a little bit of size. She's pretty small too. I may pluck out the smaller ones and grow them separately. We'll see how it goes. But so far, so good with those guys. They're doing great. I honestly can't imagine having, I believe there's actually 11 in there. I think I miscounted. I thought I was getting 10 and I counted the other day and I got 11 unless I'm losing my mind. And I know I spoke to Tanya. Fear not. She said she thought they kind of lost track and thought they might have put a couple extra in. So we'll see. But the thought of 10 or 11 of those blue beauties all together is just, I, I can't even fathom how cool that's going to be so i will get video of these and again for those of you who are waiting for videos to go up i i appreciate your patience for me it's just like all right life is in the way and this is something i do for fun so sometimes something has to get sacrificed and right now it's been getting the videos done just know that i have probably close to a dozen videos shot and about three of them ready to go and edit and i just haven't had the time to get to it so they'll be back up don't worry i'm not disappearing it's just there's only so much time in a day, and this is where I'm at right now. So they will be back. I appreciate people have emailed to ask if I'm okay. Everything's fine. Just getting busy. Things will die down a little bit as we get to the end of the month. I'll have a good push, and then they'll probably slow down a bit during uh, probably March, April when my busy season starts again. So as always, thanks so much for those of you who take the time to listen. And for those of you who take the time to comment, I'm going to try to stay on those comments better. It's just Facebook's one of those things I sacrifice when my life gets really busy. Full disclosure, I didn't use it a lot before I created the Tom's Big Spiders page. And sometimes it's just exhausting to go on and see how much information is being thrown at me. But i got to get better at that. It's just tough because I have the website comments. I have email comments. I have Facebook comments. I have the YouTube comments. And it can be really difficult to keep on top of them all. I just went through the other day. And I had gotten a little bit behind on my YouTube comments, and there ended up being over 80 that I had to respond to, which can be overwhelming at times. I just wish there was some type of social media thing that would allow you to just consolidate all your different messages. It would be so much easier to just go through them all in one place. So something I'm still wrestling with, and I guess that's the uh, – them's are the breaks when you start – getting a lot of people following your material. So again, thanks everyone for listening and please feel free to comment. I will be posting this on my Facebook page. Of course, I have tomsbigspiders.com, which is my website. Anybody wants to check that out. And I have my YouTube channel, which has been kind of dormant for about a month and a half now. I think that might be the longest I've gone in the last three years without posting anything, but uh, we'll be getting back to that soon. So again, thanks all and we'll catch you next time.